0: You're listening to the Pop-Tart Podcast. Girls Down, you already know.
1: I knew a lot of straight women who were like, I'm straight, except for JD from the Tigre.
2: I existed on a stage for queers and gender non-conforming people at a time when we really needed that. I was so grateful to have Johanna and Kathleen and like the rest of our crew and stuff to just like humble me.
1: Thinking about lesbian albatross couplings could be the secret to getting through this pandemic. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Pop Tarts. I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We're both editors of Bust Magazine in New York City. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today we have the most special of guests. Feminist electropunk artist J.D. Sampson has been a favorite of ours here at Bust since she first appeared on our cover with her band La Tigra in 2002, back when I was still a fresh-faced intern. Since then, she has traveled the world both with that band and with her other band Men, creating socially conscious anthems we can all dance to and proving to fans and skeptics alike that feminism can actually be fun. Her new band, Crickets, which she formed with her pals, Michael O'Neill from Men and Princess and Roddy Bottom from Faith No More Imperial Teen and the Nasty Band has released a series of singles and a multimedia collaborative art project leading up to the release of their self-titled Full Length, which came out July 17th on Mudguts Records. It is weird and stripped down and moody and bouncy and I love it so much. I cannot stop listening to it. I can't wait to talk about
2: it. Welcome JD. Yay. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Yay. All right. Let's start from the beginning. If we can, I know that you grew up in Ohio and you came to New York to study film at Sarah Lawrence and then you graduated in 2000 and that same year, You joined Kathleen Hanna's post-Bikini Kill feminist group La Tigra, and you became a huge feminist rock star. How did you make the leap to music and then stay in the industry for the next 20 years? How did it all come about?
2: I have no idea. Um, I think luck played a big role in that, but also just the support of my community, for sure. And uh, I don't know. It was an interesting transition for me. I went to school for experimental film, but ended up kind of questioning the uh, exclusivity of the projector um, and huh. started thinking about how that medium could uh, basically thinking conceptually about the medium and about what I could do with it. And at the same time, Latigra was looking for a projectionist. So it made sense for me to work with them on this project and, um, at the time. And then uh, after about a short, their short, their first short two week tour, Kathleen kind of ended the tour by telling me I was in the band now. So.
1: Amazing. <laughs> Did you freak out? Um, I, I didn't
2: freak out. I was very matter of fact about it all. I felt like, you know, it was like I was living each day, the best I could and trying to soak up as much joy and knowledge that they passed off to me. Um, it was just a really incredible time for me. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, w- I, I was humbled by all of it. I think honestly at the time it was just, I was so grateful.
1: It was such a great time, like just to be alive and be a feminist too. You guys brought so much joy to so many people. Um, I would love to talk about your new band Crickets. Can you tell me how you teamed up with Michael and Roddy, and how you would describe the concept behind this new band?
2: Sure. Um, so it all started with an Instagram post, which I think is actually interesting. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting start because the band relied so little on computers and technology. Uh, so it's interesting that that's where we started. But I was, I was looking for a project that didn't start on the computer. All of my projects were made on a computer or on a, a sampler, drum machine, four track, and then we covered them for the live performance. So I was interested in playing music in a room with a bunch of people, and just jamming and coming up with music that way, and allowing like our personalities to mix together, and that the writership w- was then focused on us as a team. Um, you know, just, just because I was missing my community, I think in a lot of ways. So I received about, you know, five messages from people that were like, yeah, let's join a band. I'll be in your band. And we just rented a rehearsal space and people started coming by and Michael and Roddy and I were the people that ended up sticking it out. Sweet. (laughs) Can
1: can you tell me, you know, you were in this iconic all-woman band and now you're in a band with dudes. Is there a tangible difference being in a band with dudes or with women?
2: I was thinking about this before we got on the call because I wondered if this would come up. And <laughs> it's something that I've actually never really talked about, um, So, but it, but that I have thought about a lot. Um, you know, I can say that Latigra was such a beautiful project. We were very efficient. Uh, We delegated tasks really well. It was very democratic. Uh, I loved working with them. And I think our success is owed a lot to our ability to work together as a team. Um, And in in a business sense and also a creative sense. Um, So I don't necessarily think that project is inherently different. Um, But I do think that I have been leaning on a certain confidence of a cis male um, to help me broadcast my ideas, uh, because I've gotten to a place of insecurity, to be honest.
1: So is it like that prayer, like, God, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man?
2: (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) <laughs> no, but they're not mediocre. They're fucking awesome people. No,
1: I did not mean. Yeah, to no, apply no, no, that no, no. Are.
2: I know. I, I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that you found that you found people that have your back. That's amazing.
2: I know, and the same. I mean, the, I, if anything, if I could really uh, put all of my bandmates into a category of like what I look for in a bandmate, it's like someone that has my back and. um so I feel very grateful to have all of had all of my bandmates. Um
1: what has it been like launching a whole new band and debuting an album during COVID? What creative methods are you using to get party music out there when parties are literally illegal outside of work? What has your quarantine life been like? Like what is going on?
2: Good question. Um, honestly, we had been holding this record for a while. It was finished last year, and um, we thought it was going to be a great summer record. We the release was actually the end of May, and we decided to hold it because things felt really wild at that time. And uh, we, you know, pushed it up a few months. And I still think it was an odd time for a release, but you know, everything happens for a reason, and. I'm really interested in the idea of making work as an experiment, as a constant experiment, and that the audience that wants to hear it will hear it. And, you know, they'll hear it when they need to. And I feel pretty much okay with the fact that it just is what it is right now. Um, I also don't really see it as party music. I think it's thinking music. Mm -hmm. Um, We really focused on trying to be as minimal and restrained as possible I think you know in in the scope of like feminism we we urged each other to let go of the idea of pushing ourselves to like overdo things um for sake of like proving something or um proving expertise so there's like a simplicity to everything that's really intentional and I think that that was a concept that we had introduced early on and I think it's something that actually might sound like dance fun party music but feels more to us like sitting and thinking
1: maybe that's why it was so good to work to have it on it was making me squeeze my mind grapes because I listened (laughs) to it on a continuous loop while I was working and I was like getting in the zone
2: yeah I think it's really meditative I mean there's like it's very chant like and almost like monotonous in a way that feels like crazy making. And, um, that was kind of (laughs) the point.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's some very delicious repetition in there that just like makes you want to chant along and just sort of like jump up and move rhythmically until like you're totally in the zone.
2: Yeah. Get possessed.
1: (laughs) As I said, I, I love the album and there's two songs in particular that are my favorites that I wanted to ask you specifically about the lyrics if I can. Um, The first one is called Elastic, and we're gonna listen to a little of it now. So that was Elastic. And the lyrics are, I thought that becoming the toxic masculinity that hurt me would give me the power to keep on living. But instead, I was still toxic. Yeah, I was still dangerous. Now, the power I have is to heal and change and grow. We all have the power to teach the younger ones to be the best that we can be. You just say that over and over again, and I like get into it. What personal experiences were you drawing on when you wrote this song? Were you, like, experimenting with toxic masculinity at a certain point?
2: Um, I think that, you know, I was... My role in Tigre was very specific because I existed on a stage for queers and gender nonconforming people at a time when we really needed that. But I think that um, my role was also, like self-sexualized and also sexualized by fans and uh, other peers as well Um, because there wasn't this androgynous like body to look up to and I think that in some ways seeing it in the same way that we see rock stars um, really like weighted that identity for me Mm -hmm. and so I think that there was a lot of my life where I considered that like the only thing that I could be good at was being sexy or something like that and I think that much of that identity that I think I would consider to be like mask or butch felt like a performance of what I thought of as masculinity and was flawed for sure you know and I, I just think that it's we're in a moment right now where like reconsidering that is really important and The the lyrics to most of this record came from a book that I was writing that I don't even know if I'll ever put out now because I wrote this record from the words. And um, I think that one day we were just in rehearsal and I was flipping through stuff that I wanted to sing about and I came to that part and just sang it and it felt like a really great chant, you know?
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, Yeah, I'm thinking about, Back when you were in La Tigra and it was definitely not an era when um, gender nonconformity was as as commonplace as it is now. You were really sort of an icon of that kind of self-expression in that way. And I remember because you were putting forth, you were in a feminist band, you were putting forth, um, you know, like a certain kind of masculinity, like a masculine vibe in a feminine body, like I, because so many straight women are attracted to masculinity and gay women also, but, you know, I knew a lot of straight women who are like, I'm straight, except for JD from the Tigra. Like you were such a sex symbol, um, in that way. And in that time, um, because there were so few options, I'm sure you got a lot of feedback at that time just because people, um, were attracted to gender, gender non-conforming individuals. And there were so few in pop culture to really look to and to be like, Oh, I'm not the only one who wants to date that or who wants to be that. And so like, I, I can only imagine the attention that was focused on you during that time.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I was so grateful to have Johanna and Kathleen and like the rest of our crew and stuff to just like humble me consistently and just like keep me near them. <laughs> and I think that, it would, I didn't ever feel like unsafe or something it just felt like I um I say I've said this in interviews before but like there's this weird sense of like um donating my body to science or something <laughs> <laughs> where it's like where in this way I felt like this is my duty like this is my politics and my activism to be able to like put my body on this stage in support of visibility for my people. And I felt really great about it for the most part. Um, but I just think that there was a point where I felt lost within that. And, um, maybe the codependency of that in some ways, Mm. like, um, but yeah, it's just something to think about, like, you know, it's, it's interesting like when you reach like your highest level of fame like what that persona is and like how you can translate that to like the next 40 years of your life or whatever it is so, <laughs> right.
1: yeah. and that goes perfectly into my other favorite song on the album that I wanted to talk about which is stash we're gonna listen to a little of it now
2: my stash is-
1: So this song really surprised me and it caught me totally off guard. The lyrics to this one are my stash is my gash, weighs down my upper lip, confines me from saying hi. Silence is bringing me down. I'd rather be with monkeys and babies. I'd rather be alone. Like maybe I'm just interpreting this song as someone who, like I have an unusual body size that has made me the object of, you know, attention, ridicule, like whatever in the past. But it sounds to me like you have a very iconic little stash and it's bumming you out is what it sounds like in here. I feel, when I think of you, like you have the most iconic upper lip hair since Frida Kahlo, and it's part of what has made you this queer sex symbol. Um, I remember back in 2002 when you were on the cover of Bust, I'm sure, I think you know this, but our art director Lori Hensel's daughter, Penny, was so obsessed with your stash that she started drawing little portraits of you all over the place. Like, what is going on with this song? this this is a really crazy
2: story this is the first song that i ever wrote in la tigre
1: oh my god
2: i wrote this song in 2000 and i so it was kind of like before any of this happened (laughs) so it's very interesting that you bring up this song and i don't know there's i i I think it's also interesting that like I put it last on the record, which means like the least amount of people like happen to hear it. And like, what what is it? Like, am I sh- am I shy about it or something? And the truth is, is like this: the song is about how you know mainstream culture sees me prior to like fame around my mustache, I guess. Um, and uh, without that notoriety um I'm seen as like a freak and I think that the reason why I consider silence to be a part of the story is because I had gotten away with passing complicated word about um as like a young boy um because of my stash but then whenever I opened my mouth there was um this disjointed relationship I would say um, and, and many people would think of me as, as like a lesbian then and um, shame me make fun of me call me names, whatever so I think this song is really about the silence that I felt while being proud of my mustache but also having fear around the way that
1: people experienced it that's so amazing that this song that you wrote pre-everything is now in this song. Now it's almost like you're reaching out to like your pre-famed self and trying to tell her something. What are you, what are you trying to say to her?
2: Well, it's funny. Uh, like last year I got a tattoo of a BLT sandwich on my, on my thigh because uh, it stands for before La Tigre. And like, oh. <laughs> because it's the same thing. It's just like this question of like, wait, what was I doing? Like before I went down this rabbit hole you know just reminding myself like who I am and everything not not forgetting everything that happened and of course like I'm so grateful for the experience believe me is so amazing to be a part of but yeah just just considering your past
1: yeah and the anonymity of that and being able to move unobserved in the world I'm sure it's a mixed blessing to have the notoriety that you yeah I
2: mean now I'm like old I'm like, no one, I'm old hat. Is that what they say? Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, the the kids have new voices and I'm just like, I'm a has-been. I,
1: I would hardly say so, but, <laughs> but it is actually very, you're, you're leading me into another area that's, that is interesting to me that I've been looking forward to talking to you about. In 2011, I know this is a while ago, but you wrote, an article that was actually really important to me in the Huffington post called, I love my job, but it made me poorer. And it dispelled the notion that many fans have that their rock stars are all rich and pampered. Like I totally in a million years would not guess that you, at that time, I don't know what your situation is now that you are broken, struggling just like Callie and I I are, you know, like our, our boss Debbie likes to tell us that um, feminism is like crime. It doesn't pay. Um in this article that you wrote you said I have several jobs within the music industry as of now bands DJing remixing and even writing music for other artists I'm a workaholic and have my hands in a bunch of different places but all these jobs have unstable incomes I don't get a salary I don't know how much money I will make next month next year or 5 years from now I don't have health insurance And I live with the stress of not knowing, not planning, and not understanding whether or not I will ever be able to reach my goals of having a family and feeling safe financially. When I say safe, I mean safe. I mean basics. I mean health insurance that is good enough for me to take care of myself, not just if I need a $10,000 life-threatening procedure. I mean dental care. I mean saving money in a retirement fund, so that i can take care of myself when i'm 80 years old clearly there is a difference between survival and luxury like i just said Callie and i are up against the same things Callie is the like the main champion of like we'll go to back when there were fancy press parties we haven't been to one of those in a long time but back when there were Callie was the cha- like the master of um, having tupperware in her purse so she could make that party food last more than just that one night Like we go to fancy things. We're always sort of fame adjacent and wealth adjacent, but like we are in the exact same financial boat that you are. Um, Is your life different now than when you wrote that? And what have the reactions been since you wrote it? Because it made me feel so close to you being like, um, like I wasn't glad that you were poor, but it definitely made me feel like I wasn't the only one with a fancy job, like wondering how I was going to pay the rent.
2: Yeah. I mean, I have so much to say about that article that I wrote or, um, piece, I guess. I think that one thing I'll say is I didn't know it was going to go viral. And I feel a little bit concerned slash embarrassed about the way that I didn't really necessarily confront all of the privilege that I have had, um, And that has come up for me since writing that piece. Just, um, you know, I do think that I don't have to live in Williamsburg or New York or whatever it may be, but I also know that that article helped a lot of people um, who work freelance generally or Mm -hmm. who grew up without um, parents that were going to support them um and I think it was started a really important conversation around money that wasn't really being had in this like adjacent to wealth community um especially in New York but I was on tour when it came out and many people were stopping me you know on the street to tell me about their feelings about the article rather than like the music or the tour. And and so I think it was really important and it struck a lot of nerve. And um, for that, I feel happy that it came out. But I do feel that obviously, I mean, what you just read felt fine to me, but I I do remember some things I said that I felt, I feel kind of like I wasn't being sensitive to.
1: Well, you were speaking your truth and your, you know, like you weren't taking into account, everybody's experience in the whole world but you were being really candid about your experience and I really appreciated it and I'm sure that a lot of other people do too yeah Um,
2: I mean and I think from that point on I just really you asked about the shift in my life yeah and um I think one notable shift for me was just like starting to teach and I now teach at NYU and um it just like I was really blessed with an opportunity to go there and do some guest spots and which turned into a full-time position. And um, it has completely changed my life, not financially necessarily, but just um, in what I think, you know, my path is and also uh, how important and wonderful it feels to support other artists. Um, So, yeah.
1: And I also, it makes me think a little bit, like I know that so, so many conversations around um, the feminist movement have to do with equal pay and that a lot of us as women, like because people don't talk about what they make or what they don't make, and we don't ask each other what we make or what we don't make. We make a lot of assumptions about the lives that other people around us are living and like we feel a lot of secret shame about what we are and aren't making. And so I feel like conversations like the one that you that you sort of broached by writing that are helping women to ask each other those kinds of questions and even just say like, you know what, I'd love to meet you for dinner at that place, but I can't afford it. And like having more genuine relationships with each other instead of trying to like keep up with each other.
2: For sure. And I think at the time, um, there was like the Occupy Wall Street um, protests were happening. And so it felt like especially important for us as like a community to consider each other's wealth and, and, and privilege and also just um, to just to be able to like, you know, start talking about the elephant in the room, which is just that like, we're not all the same. And um, so I do, I do think that that was what, what, what i was getting
1: at yeah yeah um i know in 2016 you reunited with la tigra briefly to record a song in support of hillary clinton called i'm with her i'm wondering if you have any plans to do something creative for this upcoming election or even if you have feelings about it
2: oh i've got feelings about it
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm ready to hear them
2: <laughs> um you know i think obviously the pandemic is just like
1: Put a bunch of
2: like pause on so much of my creative life, and I think that I feel like if we were be able, if we were able to be in one place, maybe we would have done something. Um, but yeah, there's no there's no plan to to do anything right now with Litigra. Um, I watched the Republican National Convention last night. Oh, I shouldn't speak.
1: No, you can. I was just putting my hand over my mouth just at the thought of watching it because I couldn't I couldn't. I had to watch like the people the talking heads talking about it afterwards, but I couldn't actually watch it.
0: Can you hear me right now? Yes, Yes. Callie,
1: I can hear you. Oh my god.
0: Okay. I'm gonna stay off Zoom, but Don uh Don Jr. looking mad coked up.
2: Oh yeah. I mean him and his girlfriend must have been
0: what a wild ride they must have been on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I think, um, the apprentice producers like trained everybody or something like that. So they
1: did. They're, they're the ones who produced the, the RNC. Yeah. We were like, this is
0: what we used to do when backstage at the apprentice did a
1: shitload of
2: lines.
1: (laughs) Well, they were doing Adderall on the apprentice. I don't know if that's what it was. No
2: way. Really?
1: But, um, you know, it, Who's to say what powder it was? What substance? It I mean, was. no yeah. one's
0: eyes look that glossy if they ain't fucked up on something.
2: Wait, what was that over-the-counter one that was like Adderall? <laughs> no, no, the one that you could—it was like no dose, no dose, yeah, oh, yeah, no dose. Yeah, I took that once when I was on a road trip. I took that before a Latimer show at like Yale or something. It was a bad.
1: <laughs> Bad. I took it all my senior year of high school and it wrecked my stomach forever. Oh Dude, no.
2: I
0: was in a porta john when I had taken too much no- no-dos and it was like swaying. <laughs>
1: oh, like that shit. No man. No-dos.
2: <laughs> no-dos. No,
1: no so JD, you were saying that you were watching the convention. You were watching the Republican National Convention.
2: Yeah, I was going to bring up the apprentice ness of it. <laughs> <laughs> um... They, were, they got apprenticed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I spent July in Georgia, um, in northern Georgia, and I wanted to go somewhere deep in the woods and found this place that was so isolated uh, that I felt like I could finally breathe. But it was the most politically... Uh, I don't know it was a culture shock for sure and especially coming from new york from the protests and everything um i saw i, I think every lawn had a trump sign on it
1: mm-hmm. where i was
2: trump. and yeah. um i have never felt so frightened you know i i i think we i said this after the last election but we live in such bubbles you know like go on twitter or instagram and search Hashtag Trump twenty twenty, and there. I mean, it's like we we forget that we have created this mirror effect where all we're looking at is each other, and we don't even research the fact that you know there's a whole lot of, there's there's like a whole lot of people that um, we need to help try to change their minds you know
1: how would you propose i feel like if anybody could change hearts and minds it's you jd sampson how would you propose that we do it
2: you know what i have to say i in biden's speech the other day he was saying he was he was giving this like i mean you know i think they really set him up for for as like an empathetic kind person Mm -hmm. with like a wonderful heart and i think that's what obama was trying to put forth and i think that it's a really good tactic like if anything, um, you know, it's a little dose of Marianne Williamson. Um, <laughs> I just think that it's it's kind of an interesting call, and I think it's it it has potential to kind to of focus on that
1: empathy twenty
2: twenty.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: That it was like very smart that that was what they went with.
1: Yeah, you know, exactly. and
2: I I did think I thought okay, well. That if, if anything that's that's me so yeah yeah
1: <laughs> after all these years JD Sampson are you still a feminist?
2: Yes how could I be <laughs> anything else I mean I Has think you... that, that I think um, I used to we used to say in interviews like it's an umbrella term and um, I think now we get to say that uh, you know I, I, I am proud to be an intersectional feminist.
1: Me too. Yeah. How has your career in music impacted your feminism or vice versa? Oh.
2: Well, I started as a musician that was a feminist and that was so overtly feminist that we were the feminist band. And um, I also started my career in the music industry with two amazing, awesome, strong feminists. Um, So I think in some ways, like my entire career was dictated by feminism. And that's the only way that I have ever seen it. Um, And I think that in some ways, the way that my career has been affected is, is mostly because I just can't deal with the bullshit. So I don't do things that many people might do in order to get a deal or get a song made or you know I'm just I'm just not up for it I don't care enough I'd rather have my people listening to my music and that can be like five people or like 50,000 people or like that but that's that's just is life
1: Excellent. I don't think it's five people. I think it's more like fifty thousand people. You've been at you've been at this for a long time, and I know that um, feminists like me really appreciate having you out there in the world making pop culture that we can enjoy and gives us pleasure. Thank you so much. I mean, same uh, to you. <laughs> Aw, shucks. Cheese the wheeze. What are your hopes? and your dreams, and your plans for the rest of this wacky year when none of us know what is happening and what to do with our lives?
2: Well, I am very excited to start teaching virtually next week.
1: Um, Whoa. What are you? What is the name of your class at NYU? I have a lot of classes,
2: but I teach at the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music, which is at Tisch, and I teach um, performance and production classes, and I also teach a class called Creativity in Context, where the freshmen all come to a colloquium every week uh, with guest artists, lectures, um, from people whose like trajectory in the industry was serpentine, and uh, it's really fun, because I get to bring in lots of people, feminists, that we know and love, and the students get a lot out of it, because many people have dreams of a very direct, you know, line to their dream career. And, uh, as we all know, we cobble things together and that's just what it's like
1: to be. Who are some of the feminists that you have on deck? Are you allowed to say?
2: Um, well we have this semester, uh, Chantel Martin, do you know her?
1: Uh Uh-huh.
2: She's an amazing artist, visual artist. Um, and we have, an alum from the program, Vaughn, who makes music with her, uh, the Orgasm Waves. Um, Mm. Yeah, she's great. Um, Who else do we have this semester? Well, we've had the Pelly Sisters, and we had Johanna Faitman um, one year. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, I think, oh, and this year we have Hank Shockley, too. I'm trying to think of who else is there this year. Um, But it's great. It's awesome. And the students really appreciate hearing from people that aren't necessarily, you know, doing the mainstream thing. So
1: yeah, they're like 17, 18. Oh, what is it like shaping young minds? (laughs)
2: Well, you know, I say that some of my friends say like, I'm about to start teaching. What do I do? And I'm like, make them trust you. Play them cool things and support them and, like, have empathy. It's, like, really all you have to do. And um, I just feel grateful to, like, watch the growth of so many young artists that are really innovating the medium and the industry. I mean, it's mind-blowing. And it's really just, like, a school that teaches the DIY practice, which I feel is really all i could ever that. all i could ever teach yeah it's like okay here's a class about troubleshooting <laughs> zoom and
1: zencaster right <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah. uh yeah uh, so this is my last question it is a question that i ask all of our guests and that question is what you watching and it Ooh. is a broad question we're talking about Movies, television, books, music, music videos, podcasts, anything that you are consuming pop culturally, we want to know about it because we know that it is cool if you like it. J.D. Sampson, (laughs) what you watching?
2: Love this question. Um, Okay, here's the deal. I don't really like scripted anything. I watch documentary series and documentary movies and that's pretty much it. I don't know why. It's just a thing. And um, I just watched a documentary called Man Made about a trans bodybuilding competition that my friend made. Um, and it's very good. It's on Amazon. Um, but I will say that when I get in bed at night, I go onto my phone and I open YouTube. And there's mm-hmm. some things that I watch there, um, like popping pimples I love Uh, Dr.
0: Pimple Popper.
2: Well, so this is like not, it's like, it's like Dr. Pimple Popper, but without the doctor
1: herself. Do you have like a specific pimple popper that you watch? Yeah. Who can you recommend in the pimple popping genre?
2: If you're into it, if you're not into it, don't look at it or you'll be mad at me. It's very therapeutic to me. It helps me fall asleep. So it's called Lone Nguyen. so it's L O A N N G U Y E N acne treatment.
1: Okay. Wow, and there's like multiple videos. Is this like an, a like an esthetician or like a dermatologist or someone?
2: I think it's like, I think they consider themselves like a spa, and people come to them, and they get their whole face done. Okay. Uh, so I watch that. I also watch SBSK, which is a guy who does interviews with um, people with different conditions, and most of them are kids, and that's really sweet. Conditions,
1: like neurological
2: conditions? That's what it, He says conditions, so I'm saying conditions, but um, some of them are neurological, and some of them are physical, and okay. yeah, so it's, but it's very cool, interesting, and I, I love kids, so I watch that, mm-hmm. but... If you're into pimple popping, sorry that I just like created this pimple popping sandwich with SBSK in the middle. But <laughs> the other thing that I watch is called Urban Extractions. And it's a woman in St. Louis, I believe, who pulls out ingrown hairs from people's armpits. And after waxing, like she's a she's a waxer. Oh. And she talks behind it. And I, I really like it's
1: calm. And is it, is it just like you see a hair coming out, or is there like stuff in there?
2: Sometimes
1: it's so wow. satisfying getting an
0: ingrown hair out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you and Callie are of one mind of this. I'm not so sure, but I will say I, I know it it's
0: very weird. satisfying.
1: That uh, our show's producer Luscious Logan is really into watching um, chiropractic adjustments on YouTube, and he loves watching people get their necks and backs cracked.
2: I don't like, like, like in a that. super cut i don't bracket. think i like that yeah um but other than that you know i really do like um married at first sight i find it to be a real interesting exploration of the human relationship like what mm-hmm. is going on
1: um but that's not on youtube right like that's on oh no yeah i was just the king of other things that i like that are not yeah YouTube. what channel is that on
2: um, well, there was just a season on Netflix. So, mm-hmm. Have you TikToked yet? I, I It takes up too much space on my phone. I have
0: an Android. I got mm. really sucked in because I saw one video where someone taped a banana peel to her friend's flip-flops while she was sleeping, and now I'm stuck. It's I, really
2: I, I think it's really beautiful how many marginalized voices are like being... <laughs> <laughs>
1: From the banana peel community. No, no,
2: I I just like it's. People send me videos of like a young butch who's like twelve, wearing a tie and like asking their crush on a date or something. It's like so sweet. I didn't have that.
1: No. Kids today. I don't.
0: I don't know if I'm using it right, but I'm just looking for pranks.
2: Well, that's okay. If that's what you're into, I would just be looking so many. First is there's,
0: one, there's <laughs> one prank that I feel like some child is going to get abused in where that doesn't sound
1: like a good prank.
0: No, it's a fair concerning prank. It's somebody uh, like whichever parent is the more like uptight parent, they get set up so that the kid yells, Shut up and okay. then the parent freaks out. And usually it ends with it's a prank, it's a prank, and somebody jumps up and runs at a child. I'm like, this is not I want Ooh. bananas on
2: shoes. I don't want pranks on children. Saying "shut up" was the worst thing you could do in my house. Apparently, it really, it's
0: the worst thing in a lot of houses.
2: It's very interesting. That's so weird that you say that because I always wondered like why that was in my case, but I guess it's not just my case. Oh my god! I've like never freaked. said "shut up" to my mom.
1: I don't want to know what would happen if I did. Never have I ever. But like, oh, have I you ever said "fuck have. you" or like, no, something. Not to my mom. Yeah. Like I've said, like that person can fuck off or whatever, but I yeah. would never say shut up or fuck you directly to either right. of them. Oh, yeah, mom.
0: that would be actually me and my mom, cool. mom have a wild ride.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ah. Yeah.
1: So anything else? Are you watching, reading, listening to anything else?
2: Um, there's a really good podcast by Holly Herndon called Interdependence, which I've been listening to. She's a musician. It's really great. Um, she's so smart. Her and her partner do it. And, uh, yeah, I think podcasts have been really good for me during this, um, time. But to be real, I just, like, don't like TV that much.
1: That's fine.
2: Yeah. I just... I just like to watch real things happening.
1: You said that you like documentaries. Are you <laughs> yeah. familiar with the documentarian, Bettany Hughes? No. I just asked because um, she's going to be on our podcast coming up very soon. And she is like one of my favorite documentarians ever. And so like, I feel like I'm, I sort of want to preach the gospel of Bettany Hughes and let people know that she's going to be on this podcast and it's going to be great. Wait, and what did like, she make? Maybe I just don't know. She's a historian. Name. And she's a dame. She's an OBE, a, a, of Order of the British yeah. Empire, for her contributions to history. And she's made like fifty oh. history documentaries, I'm going like to on check the BBC and Channel Four and all that stuff. And she likes to center women and women's experiences and their lives in history, which is so rare in history documentaries. Yeah. So, I'm that's so cool. I was working
2: yeah. on this documentary series that was like about um, queer and trans animals for a while. Oh that's awesome. Yeah, How cool. do you know? How do you know?
0: Well, there's it's those it... penguins that just adopted the Oh right. Yeah, yeah like
2: there's the gay penguins. Stories right. like that. I mean I it's love all stories like anthropomorphizing is like questionable, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like as a feminist practice. Um, but, I'll allow it. Yeah, so, <laughs> but it is fun to think about lesbian albatross coupling. Yeah. Couplings.
1: I feel like, if anything, thinking about lesbian albatross couplings could be the secret to getting through this pandemic.
2: <laughs> I might agree with that.
1: Like but less CNN and more meditative lesbian albatross coupling. You know what's really cool about them
2: too? It's like when you see a picture of them, you're like, oh, it looks like a seagull, but they're like this big.
1: They're massive. They're like,
2: yeah, I mean, I, yeah they're like the size of a.
1: Watermelon.
2: No. Four watermelons. Two watermelons. A baby
1: (laughs) lesbian. Yeah, they're like the size of a small child. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on our show, J.D. You're the best. Oh, thanks. appreciate you so much.
2: I appreciate you all so much. You straightened my hair on the cover of the magazine.
1: (laughs) We straightened your hair. (laughs) It was. It was like very baby fine and flat, I remember. You guys were all white. You worked it out. It was the best. Oh, I think yeah.
0: you used to play uh, basketball with one of our old interns, by the way. Yeah? Anna? Yeah, Anna Holgram. Swedish oh. Anna. Yeah. She's one of my best. Totally.
2: I didn't know that. That's awesome.
0: Old school intern. Yeah. Now, now, I now. thought you now, and I was like, wait, what? Now. Now. Yeah. Oh, I mean, nobody's playing basketball right now. Yeah.
1: Um, Thank you again so much. Thank you so
2: much. Have a great day. Thanks. You too.
1: Now, we're going to take the briefest of breaks. And when I return, I'm going to ask Callie. And Callie's going to ask me. What What you watching? Hey, podcast fans. Did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad-free is Stitcher Premium? They've got Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine, The Lost Trail, Bitch Sesh, The Fantasy Footballers, Science Rules with Bill Nye, and more, all without commercial interruptions. And we can hook you up with a sweet deal. To get one month free, go to stitcher.com premium and use promo code POPTARTS. That's stitcher.com premium, promo code POPTARTS. Before we get back to the show... I want to tell you about our new sponsor Wolfie vibes publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie vibes publicity. Wolfie vibes publicity is a female owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be. And you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes. And tell them that Pop-Tart sent you.
2: Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious. And I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. (laughs) Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to Let's Get Civical. When the Supreme Court put stuff on their calendar, they used the word docket. So their Google Calendar is a docket. Is a docket. So technically I have a docket.
2: You have a docket, we all
1: have, we docket. have a docket. Sex? Welcome to my vagina, I'm Jesse Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jesse? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> Scams? I'm, I'm Caitlin Smith, and, <laughs> and we, we love, love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening.
2: So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on. It's amazing, was so
1: smart. I mean, <laughs> that's so <just> smart. <laughs>
2: I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately. Because women are actually pretty
0: versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices,
2: unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com.
1: And we're back. Now, Callie, this is the, the point where I ask you, and hopefully you ask me, what, what
0: you, you watch? um i watched lovecraft country did you watch that yet
1: i haven't because hbo max is not compatible with roku so i haven't watched rude. anything in so long it's so rude
0: rude well it was only the first episode i don't know much about um hp lovecraft I didn't I know, know that
1: he was super racist. As I know he was sexist. super
0: racist now. That's what I, when I Googled it, I was like, oh, this bitch was racist. I mean, I knew he had that one weird monster. that He, was he also
1: for. had a cat named N-word man. Yeah. What? Yeah.
0: What a bitch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's not an appropriate name well, for a cat that, or a person or anything.
0: Or anything. Uh, It was really good. I feel like I miss a lot of the context because I'm not familiar with HP Lovecraft's work. But I am familiar with racism.
1: (laughs) So there you have it. So there
0: I have it. And, you know, I love a good monster. So I'm in it to win it. I had gone. The first episode came on and I was like, oh, we're going to have to watch this whole season all all tonight. This is great. Mm -hmm. And I went to the store and got snacks. And then I realized it was HBO. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So... That pissed me off.
1: <laughs> now you gotta wait.
0: <laughs> yeah, fuck that shit. I also have been watching Connected on Netflix. Oh what's
1: have that? Have you seen
0: this yet? uh uh-uh. It's um a dude from Radio Lab and it's just like Is it how Dad Chad all- Possibly. <laughs> I didn't look his name up. Um, and it's like how all these random things are all connected that you wouldn't think about. And there's a poop episode that is so interesting, just about poop, all kinds of poop, how right. poop uh, turns into dust in the Sahara Desert, and oh. then it builds walls of poop dust that stops hurricanes, and apparently all the hurricanes start off of the Sahara Desert. I what? didn't know this. I had and idea. and then if the poop walls don't stop them, then they end up taking that dust to the Amazon, and the Amazon needs some specific minerals that are in this dust so it goes from the driest place to the wettest place
1: are the minerals in all poop or does it have to be like no human poop it's or just animal poop? like the, the sahara desert dust specific
0: uh. so like actually i may be combining two episodes
1: <laughs> <laughs> were you watching this high you can tell me
0: you better believe i was watching this on vacation i was stoned as fuck it was during the hurricane oh okay So these were my notes, and my notes may be combining two episodes. If somebody wants to write it, let me
1: know. It sounds like a great show either way.
0: It is. There's also another episode about, um, oh, what is that country that's all on the cloud? Everything they do is on the cloud. Um,
1: I didn't know there was a country all on the cloud.
0: Yeah. Every fucking thing you do... Is all connected, so you don't have to fill out a million forms. They just know who you are and they have no um like nobody's stealing people's identities. They're super
1: safe. I'm gonna say it's New Zealand just because I like that lady who runs New um, Zealand.
0: I wanna say it's in it sounds like Encino Man. I should have written notes on this. Hold on. <laughs> anyway, carrying on. I was stoned when I watched the show. Okay. But it is fascinating science documentary and then i also watched umbrella academy season two
1: yeah i still haven't watched that show but you recommended it last season
0: it's so good i mean you know i don't really like superhero shit Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: this kid that plays the the character number five all the kids have number names number five he's like a young kid whose character is an old man stuck in his childhood body he got like sent back in time And this kid plays an old man so fucking good. He just walks old. He has, like, old mannerisms. This kid is a really fucking good actor.
1: He's Benjamin Buttoning.
0: He's Benjamin Buttoning, and he's really good at it. And then I also watched American Pickle. Did you see that?
1: No, but I should. Because of my heritage. Because
0: of your heritage, yes. Um, (laughs) it's, It's a movie about a man that is stuck in a Pickle brine, pickle factory brine, and um, gets found a hundred years later. So it is also like Encino Man, and the guy comes back, and it's um, Seth Rogen, and then Seth Rogen also plays his great grandson. Nice, and um, it's a, it's it, you know, what do you expect from a guy that comes out of a pickle brine a hundred years later, and then is learning about racism and cars and What have you. There's a lot of uh, things they talk about, about, uh, like, beliefs he has from the past that that are so fucked up, but at the time you think it's normal. Like, Mm -hmm. shitting on women and stuff like that. Right. Not actually shitting on women. Right. (laughs) But um, it was good. It was funny. It wasn't, like, groundbreaking. Also, he never tells the old man about the Holocaust. Without that. What, was why why
1: tell him? If he never knew about it, then just yeah, let I guess him not let's know. Skip about
0: ahead. It. Yeah. So that's what I've been watching. And what have you been watching?
1: Well, thank you so much for asking. Um, I told you in the last episode that I I plunked down my dollars for Disney Plus just so I could watch um Beyonce's Black is King, but then I figured while I've got Disney Plus, why not watch Hamilton? So I did. Um it's Lynn Manuel Miranda's big giant Broadway blockbuster spectacular about Alexander. Camilla Hamilton. is obsessed. And um, they sing slash rap throughout the whole thing, like an opera, like there's no exposition. It's just all musical numbers. So which I thought was very impressive. There's a lot of energy and I love how like they cast non-white actors as the founding fathers and other historical figures. I think that it was really. Groundbreaking and boundary busting in that way that like they really um, opened up all roles for all people. That you can just get the best person for the role, and you don't have to, you know, like get the old white guy to play George Washington if you don't want to. I'm thinking about old cool.
0: white guys. That old white guy in it that's drooling when he sings—he's so good.
1: <laughs> oh, who plays the king? Yeah, he's like
0: totally salivating. He's not at really
1: old. <laughs> well, but he I plays mean, old white but guys. I liked the- like the kid yeah. but uh yeah lin while Miranda described it as America then as told by America now um I don't think it's actually told by by America now because I think that if he was writing Hamilton now then it would I think it would maybe take a more critical view of the founding fathers than it does oh yeah I think but, But I still really liked it. And that's saying something because um, I started out my professional life in the theater and I burned out on theater so hard that I barely ever watch theater on purpose. Like I just burned out on it more than any person can burn out on anything ever. And so like, I really honestly don't watch much theater and um, I'm glad that I was able to watch it on TV so I could take breaks and yeah it's long i watched it in three parts i didn't watch it all the way through but i did actually enjoy it and it may have possibly renewed my interest in theater just a little bit i love that yeah because i did enjoy it very much um one of our previous guests sam J, has such a great comedy special on netflix it's called three in the morning and it made me lol laugh it
0: is so good i meant to talk about that i forgot i saw that also with stone on vacation
1: Oh, it was so funny. Yeah, I, I sought it out because you told me that you had watched it and loved it. And um, just telling our listeners that if you also have seen Sam J. 3 in the Morning on Netflix and are like, oh, that was so funny, I want to hear more from Sam Jay, you can hear a whole hour of Sam Jay talking to us. She was on this podcast, the episode that we released on August 28th, 2018. It's such a great show, and she's great, and I recommend it.
0: Um, she goes all over the place, man. She yeah. just gets real, real.
1: I think I'm going to actually watch it again because that's how much I enjoyed it. Um, in our house, what had happened was Luscious Logan uh, got another shoulder surgery. And so he's been propped up on pillows, taking that Percocet for the last week. And uh, to get him through the pain, we've been watching all the Star Wars movies
2: in oh narrative God. order
1: on Disney+ starting with the Phantom Menace episode one, then attack of the clones. Um, I saw Solo, which I had never seen before with Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian, wearing a variety of capes. (laughs) I really enjoyed Solo much more than I thought I would. Um, I saw part of Rogue One before I fell asleep. um, But I want to say that the, the original first three, which were bedrock parts of my eighties childhood, um, they've been remastered and the remasters look good but there's like some really dumb cgi additions that they just like put in there to like con people into paying money to see them in the theaters again and i don't like those changes and i don't appreciate them there's this like added yeah like in a new hope which is known to Oldies like myself as just the original Star Wars, you know the, the famous like cantina scene where they're like do, 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 do. okay yeah so after that scene, then they go on to the Millennium Falcon. That's how it's supposed to be, but in the newly released A New Hope, which is all you can get on Disney Plus, um there's this scene where Han Solo gets intercepted by Jabba the Hut outside of the Millennium Falcon and it sucks like in in return of the jedi where we're used to encountering jabba the Hutt for the first time he's huge he's slimy he's enormous green slug he has princess leia chained up it's like super gross and scary and the cgi jabba the Hutt that they doctored up for this deleted scene in the first <laughs> movie is terrible it's not green enough it is not slimy enough it's not large enough it's 100 percent thumbs down and they're just like somebody (laughs) needs to save george lucas from himself like somebody needs to like put handcuffs on him and stop him from messing with the classics he's not improving them he is degrading them he needs to stop so that's what i have to say about that i also very i am someone who does not enjoy watching television shows on my phone like it's just not something that i do however I found this show on Facebook Watch that I am now so obsessed with, I keep watching it on my phone, even though I don't watch shows on my phone. Um, It is called Unfiltered, Paris Jackson and Gabriel Glenn. Have you heard of this show? No, is this? No. So Paris Jackson, as in Michael Jackson's daughter, she's 21 now. She's pretty cool. And she's in a band called The Soundflowers with her boyfriend, Gabriel Glenn, who has the same... A similar aesthetic, personal aesthetic to my heavy metal neighbor, Jason Leckberg, who is also a musician. But anyway, Paris Jackson has his boyfriend, Gabriel Glenn, and they have a reality show on Facebook Watch where they're like touring around as this sort of like folk rock duo. And hmm. she plays the guitar and he plays, sings sort of harmony to her and they have a documentary crew following them around and people just want to gawk at her because she's Michael Jackson's daughter and she's and like there was this one show in Rome where she was actually like really legitimately sick and she like couldn't show up and so her boyfriend showed up to the gig like just to play as one soundflower instead of both soundflowers and they like there was practically like a roman riot. <laughs> they didn't give a shit about him or their music. They just wanted to stare at Paris Jackson and they were so upset that she wasn't there. Um but this dude like he's a he's a nomadic musician guy. He lives in his van. Like she went to one of his gigs in LA at the Rainbow and they just like sort of magically fell in love and she got in his van and that was it. Like they've just been <laughs> together living in that van rolling around get in that van exactly um so if you want to see paris jackson living in a van hanging out with a long-haired dude um do it she's very candid she's super cool she talks about being pansexual she talks about um suicide attempts she talks about psych ward she talks about all that stuff and you get to see her siblings in the show it's very interesting i have not seen blanket thus far But I did see Prince. Prince directed the first Soundflowers video, and you get to see that behind-the-scenes process on the show. And um, you also get to see her other older brother, who was actually the son of their nanny, who they call their brother because they were all raised together. And I was not aware of this other sort of auxiliary Jackson child. So I, I I was excited to learn about that as well. And the last thing that I've been watching is the Majestic Pop-Tarts Patreon page, which is in the world and everyone should know about it. We really need your help to keep Bust alive. Now more than ever, WAP wet-ass Patreon. Get on it. I Hopefully, if you check it out, you'll be excited by all the goodies that Callie and I have hooked up for our patrons. It's at patreon.com slash Podcast, And Callie and I have been cooking up all kinds of great, benefits for people who um, want to sponsor us. Like we have show notes that you can only get if you're a patron for every episode that we've ever had, where you can find out what every guest, what Callie and I and all of our guests have been watching for three years. It's all there linked itemized just click the link and you'll know how to find it we've also got totally ad free episodes we have exclusive content like our episode with big frida that you can only hear if you're a patron and there's so much more check it out at patreon.com pop tarts podcast to learn more and finally Thanks to our luscious producer and sound engineer, Logan Del Fuego. Muy caliente. And thank you extra to Logan for producing this episode while you're on the mend. We really appreciate it. And of course, thanks to our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rams and on Instagram at RamsEmily. But you cannot find Callie, so don't even try. I'm at at emilyramsatbust.com. You can learn more about this show at bust.com slash pop charts. Finally, if you could rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, it would be so great. I mentioned at the last episode that we're at 199 ratings. We really want to roll over to 200, but still we haven't rolled over yet. So if just one of you were to rate and review this on Apple podcasts, we would have a little celebration. Why not? Um, We super-duper appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Until next time.
0: Mother darling, I cannot weave. Slender Aphrodite has broken me with lounging. And I was like, fuck yeah. I, too, have been broken with lounging.